Hosanna, a fellowship with Christians. Good morning, Hosanna. It's good I was introducing because I probably wouldn't have it on when we started singing. <laughs> this uh, beautiful day yesterday was awesome. Probably the last, hopefully not the last best day out of the year. But, you know, cold weather's coming around, so I don't know how many people like cold weather. I do not. I'm sorry for you. <laughs> can I get everybody to stand up? If you want to, and if you can, stand up. People at home, you can stand up too. Um, let's take a little bit of time. We're going to pray here first. Father, we come into your presence, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are.
know you've done great things. Will you read it in your words? Still do.
rest in that for a moment. Oh, God. 
heart for your unending love and your amazing grace. Good morning. I don't know about you, but wow, worship was quite amazing this morning. Thank you, worship team, all of you. It's good to see all of you this morning, and we welcome you to Hosanna. If you're joining us online, hello, family and friends. I know there are many of you out there, and we welcome you. The song that we were singing this morning, Glorious Day, now we run out of the grave and it's a glorious day, but how many of you have seen the glorious, beautiful fall trees that are out there? Oh my gosh, it's such, fall is such a beautiful time. And the trees are, it's like they're yelling, you know, see us because of the beauty. And it's like God just, I think someone just told me, it's like amazing how it feels like God opens a paint can and just pours the paint all over the beautiful trees. Wow, his beauty is amazing. Let's pray before we take up our offering. God, thank you for the beauty of this season. Lord, and I thank you for all of these beautiful people sitting before us and joining us online. Lord, I ask you to bless the offerings that are given this morning, that they could further your work, more people could be reached for you, that they would be no known, that they're loved. God, we thank you for your love that you have for us, your amazing grace for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, you can pass the offering buckets. Just a few announcements for you this morning. Join us immediately following the service this morning for our congregational meeting. It's going to be held right in here after the service. Please note there is no adult class this morning. And the hook and needle group, we always get a chuckle out of that, but those are the knitters and the crocheters and all the craft people who like to get together. They will be meeting this Thursday in the fellowship hall from 6 to 8. And we want to invite you to stop by Hosanna next Saturday morning from 8 to 2 for our holiday bazaar. This building is going to be filled with 25 artisans and small businesses along with food for sale in the fellowship hall, food for sale in the foyer, a lot of our folks from Hosanna, but the rest of them all across Lancaster County. So that's pretty amazing. So join us this coming Saturday. And with that, I'm going to turn it over for a couple minutes to Joanne. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Wow. Uh, it's good to see you all here. I wasn't sure how many people we'd be looking at because what a weekend, right? I actually got leaves out of my yard yesterday. It was actually amazing. Um, but... I'm not here to talk about the weather. I'm here to introduce our speakers this morning. These are two people who will be coming in just a moment, who most of us here at Hosanna know very, very well for many, many years. Um, these are two beloved friends of ours who have committed their lives so generously for decades to whatever ministry needed to be done, um, gifted, Dear people, I'm going to make myself cry because right now I'm having a, a memory stream going. I'm seeing just, just how generous they have been with their gifts, their home, it just everything that, that God has given them. And you know that there's a saying that you can't be more generous than God is. So when we're generous with our time and with our gifts and with everything that God has given us, it's not you know, a give to get. 
It's about love. That God is so generous in love that when any of us offer what he's given us to others, God just continues. It's like this great flow of love. And Niels and Helen Cookie understand that flow of love, don't they? So they're going to come in just a moment, and um, I'm very excited to hear. They're bringing, going to bring us a message about basically the gift of regrets. We're going to watch this video first. If only I could go back and change some things, set things straight. I wish I had a do-over. I've made choices. I've lost out. I've wished a thousand times I could go back and try again. It's hard not to imagine what might have been. If I had just stopped to think. If I had just done as I was told. If I hadn't thought I knew it all. Why didn't I just take a few deep breaths? Took one second to listen. Maybe my life would be better. Maybe there wouldn't be such a high price to pay. Things would be different now. I wouldn't have so many regrets. But is everything lost? Can I just get a do-over? Is there a way back to new beginnings? Because regret can mean a new beginning. When it's given to the one who produces a repentance. A repentance that delivers me from my grief. The one who takes my mistakes. And somehow, redeems me through them. Who tells me I'm not the sum total of all my regrets? He tells me not to look back. Because there's nothing there to see. I am not my mistakes. He is faithful and just to forgive me. I just have to ask him. And then I can look straight forward. Forget what is behind me. And strain towards what is ahead. And walk away with all regrets erased by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Every day I'm given a clean slate. A clean slate. I get a clean slate. Well, good morning, Rosanna, and to all of you who are out there in the internet land. Um, it's a sobering video that we watched here this morning. It's a sobering topic that we're going to be covering. Um, but it's a good one. It really is. The U.S. Library of Congress contains more than 50 books in its collection with the title, No Regrets. There are many more than a few people who believe that regrets are foolish. They're really of no use to anyone. It's a waste of time. A good life has singular focus forward and an unwavering positive attitude. Regret is backwards looking and it's unpleasant, it can be a toxin in the life. So why invite pain when we can avoid it? Why dwell on what we did yesterday when we can dream of the limitless possibilities of tomorrow? Well, it might seem right and maybe even convincing depending on who's doing the talking. But it does have a major flaw. It's dead wrong. This is a message on the subject of regret. That deep feeling that the present would be better and the future brighter if you only hadn't chosen so poorly 
decided so wrongly, and acted so foolishly in the past. Have you had regrets? We've had them in our lives. So Helen and I will be drawing on material contained in a recently published book by Daniel H. Pink, The Power of Regret, How Looking Backwards Moves Us Forward. Well, good morning. There is far too much information to cover all of this. However, we hope this is an encouragement to you to look at regret as a very useful emotion that God gave us to explore some ways to work with regret to improve our lives. Daniel H. Pink states that the purpose of the book is to reclaim regret as an indispensable emotion and to show how to use its many strengths to make it better, to make better decisions, to accomplish more at work, school, and bring greater meaning to our lives. So first we'll discuss why regret matters. Over 70 years of top psychologists and researchers work have revealed two simple but very important conclusions. One, regret makes us human. And two, regret does make us better. Secondly, after reclaiming regret, we'll move on to examining its contents. Much of this material comes from two extensive surveys, projects, the American Regret Survey and the World Regret Survey. The first involved 4,489 people from representative sample of the United States population. The second, over 16,000 regrets from people in 105 different countries. Third, we'll look at turning the negative emotion of regret into a positive instrument for improving our lives. Well, in order to do this message, we had to take a look at our own lives and share, we'd like to share some of those regrets with you to help this to be more relevant and to share with you how God has worked through our regrets and still is graciously working on them right now. In my early 20s, I began attending a Baptist church in New London, Connecticut. After one Sunday, I briefly met this guy, Niels. I remember really regretting that I did not find out his last name or any more about him. <laughs> Months went by. I asked other Navy guys as I saw them. You could always tear, tell because their hair was short. Um, uh, I said, have you seen this guy named Niels? And they said, he's out to sea on a submarine. He won't be back for a while. Well, I thought, oh, great. I lost my chance. Well, months went by. I was standing on the front platform singing in the church choir, and I spotted him. In the congregation, he was standing amongst a bunch of other Navy guys. A little distracted now, I made my decision. I would take action, not let him slip away again. When the choir was finished singing, I found the pew he was sitting in. I said, excuse me, excuse me, to a number of people, and I sat down right next to him. <laughs> I really did. He awkwardly scooted over to make room for me. Yeah. After the service was over, he, I said, hi, I'm Helen. I remember you from a few months ago. What is your full name? And what are you doing tonight? 
Yeah, I'm done. Well, before he had a chance to answer any of those questions, I told him that there was a volleyball game tonight and that he needed to come. He said sheepishly that he had no sneakers. I suggested that he get some. Yeah, yeah. This is all true, guys. Don't make it up. Um, he doesn't pay to say no. He then, he then said, but I don't have a ride. And I said, no problem. I could take care of that. Well, at the time, I did not even own a car. But I figured I could borrow my sister's car that lived with me, and I'd pick him up at the sub base in Groton, Connecticut. Well, 43 years later, here we are. <laughs> That's God for you. I will tell you, I, did, I don't have the regret of saying no, no, no. <laughs> here we are many, many days, many years later. It's been a grand journey. So what is regret? You have to think, you would think that a sensation so easy to recognize that regret <laughs> is surprisingly difficult to find. Think about it. It's that unpleasant feeling associated with some action or inaction a person has taken which has led to a state of affairs that they wish were different. If the precise definition feels elusive, the reason is revealing. Regret is better understood less as a thing and more as a process. It's a process that seems to be uniquely human. This process begins with two abilities, unique capacities of our minds. We can visit the past and the future in our heads. When we're there in the past, we can rewrite the story, change the events to something different from what really happened. Then coming forward, that ability allows us to see what might have been. Our twin abilities travel through time, rewrite events, and it's a regret process. However, the process isn't complete until we take two additional steps that distinguish regret from other negative emotions. First, we compare. Suppose that an adult in their 50s wishes they had followed their own educational dreams and desires rather than their parents. Now, if they were suffering simply because of the current situation, that it's miserable, that alone wouldn't constitute regret. That sadness, melancholy, or despair, the emotion becomes regret only when we do the work of going into the past negating the past and contrasting it or comparing it with, with the present. And therein, comparison lives at, cores, at the core of regret. Second, Second we okay. assess blame. Regret is our own fault, not someone else's. Return to the earlier mentioned example of the individual and their regretfulness about education decisions they can compare their unsatisfying situation to an imagined alternative and come up short. This step is necessary, but it's not sufficient. What nudges them fully into the realm of regret is the reason the alternative doesn't exist, their own decisions and actions. The cause of their own suffering, this makes regret different and more distressing than a negative emotion of regret. Or consider this thought, one day, a child loses their tooth. Before going to sleep, she puts the tooth under her pillow. When she wakes up the next morning, 
She discovers that the tooth fairy forgot to replace the tooth with a prize. The child is disappointed, but the child's parents are the ones who have regrets. There is a big difference between disappointment and regret. Regret is a feeling, and what to do with it is an important consideration. We can think that emotions are separate from our rational mind, but we believe that emotions are a very important component of what makes us human. There are some who would like to ignore feelings, for they believe emotions are not sufficient or that it's better to bury the negative emotions to keep them out of their daily life. But the feelings will not dissipate and go away. There are others who want to always trust their feelings, that their emotions are the essence of their being. They talk about them. They vent about them. They luxuriate in them. From this perspective, too much regret is not helpful, leading to rumination, which, which severely degrades the well-being of a person. Excessive regret is linked to depression and anxiety, as well as, in some situations, post-traumatic stress disorder. When feeling is only for feeling, we build a chamber from which it is difficult to escape. Now, there's a third view which can be healthier. Feeling is for thinking, and thinking is for doing. Don't dodge emotions and don't wallow in them either. Confront them. Use them as a catalyst for future behavior. If thinking is for doing, feeling can help us think. The key to use is to use regret to catalyze a chain reaction where the heart signals the head and the head initiates action. All regrets aggravate and then they activate. If we look at the chart on the three options with regret, you can see on the top up there, there's your three options. You're, you have the regret over here on the left, feeling is for ignoring. And that's where a lot of people go in their life. And the result is delusion. They're not really dealing with what's going on. Feeling is for feeling. Well, you're just as I said, you're ruminating in it and you stay in despair. And finally, the third choice, feeling is for thinking and thinking is for doing. You're going to make better decisions. You're going to improve. You're going to improve how you work life and you're gonna have a deeper meaning in your life. One of the revealing aspects of the American Regret Survey was the percentage of common regrets. It's all over the map. Regret covers so many domains, it's hard to make anything out, but it covers parents, sons, daughters, spouses, employees, bosses, students, spenders, investors, citizens, friends, and more. As regret survey were carefully categorized and recategorized, the words and phrases that kept appearing, diligent, more stable, bad habits, take a chance, assert myself, explore wrong, not right, knew I shouldn't have missed, more time, love, it all goes along that way. But if you could really boil it all down, Essentially, you come to four deep categories of human regret. And that's what we want to spend some time on now. The first one is foundation regrets. Many 
of our education, financial, or health regrets are actually different outward expressions of the same core regret. Our failure to be responsible, conscientious, or prudent. Our lives require some basic level of stability with a measure of physical well-being and mature material security without which other goals become more difficult to imagine and even harder to pursue. Yet sometimes our individual choices undermine this long-term need. We shirk in school and leave before we should. We overspend or undersave. We adopt unhealthy habits when such decisions cause the the platform of our lives to wobble and our future to not live up to our hopes. Regret follows. Hmm. Well, up here on the wall, foundation regrets, there's a picture up here, grasshopper and an ant. There's a, a wise person from, from centuries back, Aesop, Aesop fables, and many of us are familiar with them. This is one of the main stories, the ant and the grasshopper. Story is deceptively simple. During the long summer, the grasshopper makes use of all the foods and the, the great weather, and he enjoys the summer, fiddling away. While the ant, who has been invited by the grasshopper to enjoy summer, diligent work, diligently works on storing up for winter. And when winter comes, the ant and his family are snug in their, in their den, and the grasshopper only has the fiddle to play. Foundation regrets start with a choice. At some early moment, we face a series of decisions that represents a path to life, requiring short-term sacrifice in the service of a long-term payoff. The other choice is of the grasshopper, this route demands little exertion in the short run, but has a high cost in the long run. Foundation regrets sound like this, if only I had done the work. Now, it's important for us to remember that when it comes to matters of physical health, education attainment, and financial security, there's a border separating personal responsibility and external circumstances, which may not be very clear. It's important not to, to attribute the behavior of a person strictly to their personality and disposition, but also to consider what life has presented to them and whether they've had people to help them along in their life. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we want to share with this regret survey, other people are very vital to our lives. Reaching out to other people. So think ahead, do the work, Start now, help yourself and others to follow the path of the ant. Okay, well, time for another regret um, that I have. Um, um, anyway, when in my early 20s, I had gained, rapidly gained a lot of weight, 45 pounds. I regretted that I did not take better care of myself. I learned that my overeating was my reaction to an abrupt move in my junior year of high school, moving from country living in Minnesota to inner city living in Connecticut, leaving behind familiar schools, friends, cousins, pets, aunts and uncles. By my late teens, I was regretting how I felt about myself physically and emotionally. 
I then made a decision to attend an Overeaters Anonymous meeting at UConn campus, because it was free. It was, uh, and I was a college student. Through this program, I learned how to adapt good eating habits and learn some life skills, dealing with my emotions tied to food. Through the program, I was encouraged to have a higher power, and my choice was to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This idea was new for me, that Jesus loved me personally. So through my overeating, I was led to have a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. I have a favorite verse, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Now, the second uh, of the deep regrets is the boldness regret. A stable platform for our lives is necessary, but on its own, it's not sufficient. One of the most robust findings from the two surveys and other research is that over time, we are much more likely to regret the chances we did not take than the chances we did take. What haunts us is the inaction itself. Foregone opportunities to leave our hometown launch a new business, pursue true love, or see the world all linger in the same way. All deep structure regrets reveal a need and they yield a lesson. With boldness regrets, the human need is growth, to expand as a person, to enjoy the richness of the world that God has offered to us, and to experience more than just the ordinary life. Common sayings for boldness regrets, if I had only taken the risk. And the lesson with boldness regrets is plain. Speak up. Take that, <laughs> yeah, speak up. Ask, take a trip, uh, start a business, or play a cello. When I was in the fifth grade, I joined our uh, orchestra program in our school district, and I decided I would play the violin. That's what everybody, what, what most people were playing. And uh, because of that, my parents did buy a violin for me. And for two years, somewhat, no, not really diligently, but I would practice and work on the violin. And I wasn't making great progress, but I liked being in the orchestra. When I got to the seventh grade, I moved into the junior high program, larger program. And for the first time, I really saw a cello and saw it and heard it. I fell in love with it, and I asked the music director if I could start playing one. He repaired an old one that it was part of the school districts and gave me a few lessons, and on I went, on my own. And after, well, by the second semester, I moved all, over, all the way up to second chair cello in our orchestra. I was, I was practicing like a fiend every evening, every Every weekend, I was just pouring time into it. I loved it. And then my mother reminded me that they had, my dad and her had bought a violin for me. And son, you know, that's what you really wanted to play. I took that to heart and I, I, I stopped playing the cello. I told my director, well, I, I need to go back to playing the violin. That's what I had originally agreed with my parents. He was crestfallen as well, as I was making terrific progress. Mm -hmm. My regret is still even to today on that. 
And yet, you know, I've learned. I, I, I own a cello now, and I play it from time to time and work on it, and I deeply love that instrument. Um, but I learned something from that. Speak up for myself. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Yeah. He's a good cellist too. Moral regrets, moving along. Most of us want to be good people. Yes, we often face choices that tempt us to take the low road. When we travel that path, we don't always feel bad immediately. But it can be easy to rationalize our emotion, our actions, but eventually it catches up to us. Over time, these moral dubious decisions can eat at us. And once again, the realm in which they occur, deceiving a spouse, cheating on an exam, swindling a business, is less significant than the act itself. When we behave poorly and compromise our belief in our own goodness, regret can build, then persist. Moral regret begins at the juncture, the intersection of the two pair of choices, care or harm to a person, follow the rules or ignore them, remain loyal to a group or not, persevering the sacred or desecrating it. Whatever the, the specifics, at a pivotal moment, we choose what our conscience says is wrong. Moral regret sounds like this. If only I had done the right thing. And the lesson in this is, when in doubt, do the right thing. I have an example of a moral regret. When I was in elementary school, probably second grade, I remember sneaking into my older sister's bedroom, taking her brand new pedometer out of the box. I decided I would borrow it. She wouldn't miss it, right? I'll put it back, right back in the box after school. It looked like a pocket watch. You clip on your waistband to track your steps. It's a lot like the present day Fitbit. Well, back then it was a really new invention and I was intrigued. I took it and I clipped it on my waistband and I went to school. Well, it was winter in Minnesota. At recess time, we climbed up snow banks and slid down them. Sometime, well, then sometime after recess, I went and checked uh, how many steps I had taken, and the pedometer was gone. I was petrified. Of course, after school, I recruited a bunch of friends to help check the snowbank to find this hunted treasure. No luck. It was gone. I didn't say anything to my sister when I got home. I just hoped she wouldn't find out. <laughs> well, the day came when she asked, has anybody here seen my pedometer? I was caught. I confessed, but she was not happy. Well, by spring, the snow melted. I found the pedometer. It was a little rusty, but it still worked. I gave it back to her, but I've always regretted sneaking into her bedroom and taking her treasure. All right. All right, connection regrets is our third deep regret area. Our actions give our lives direction, but other people, actually that's the fourth connection, I'm losing count. Uh, 
Our actions give lives direction, but other people give our lives purpose. A massive number of human regrets from the surveys showed that our failure to recognize and honor this principle has a big impact on our lives. Fractured or unrealized relationships with spouses, parents, children, siblings, friends, classmates, coworkers, colleagues, the list is endless, constitutes the largest deep structure category of regret. Connection regrets arise anytime we neglect the people who help establish our own sense of wholeness. When these relationships fray or disappear or even never develop, we feel an abiding loss. Now, connection regrets share a common plot line. Mm -hmm. A relationship that once was intact or that should have been intact no longer is. Now, sometimes, often because of death, there's nothing more we can do. The doors close. However, in many of our lives' roles, we want to close that circle again. But that requires effort. It brings emotional uncertainty, awkwardness, and the risk of rejection. What will they think if I call them or write them? Mm -hmm. Connection regrets sound a lot like this. If only I'd reached out. So I'm going to share something from my life. My mom and my birth father divorced when I was five years old. My birth father was from Denmark, and he had immigrated into this country with my mom after his service in Denmark was finished. And uh, my mom and we moved to San Diego, and my mom moved back to Tucson with the divorce, my brother with me. We lived with my grandmother for a period of time, and then my mother remarried. My birth father also remarried in those years, and for several years, my brother and I would go back to San Diego for a week to spend time with our dad. But then those meetings stopped. No more cards, no more birthday cards, nothing at Christmas. I think as young boys, we were puzzled by that because he seemed to be a good enough person. We didn't realize until much later in our lives that uh, that had been cut off because of his relationship with his new wife. Mm -hmm. Throughout my growing years and in, throughout uh, young adult life, there were a lot of questions, but no answers. Finally, in 2004, at Helen's insistence, we had to breach this and see what could be done. So through the wonders of the internet, we were able to find and connect with Jens Jensen, my birth father. And it was amazing. He was very, very open, very open. Now, I will tell you this. We had to do this very clandestine. I had to send letters through his sons because, as he said it, the Wicked Witch of the West will intervene. It was very, it was a real emotional roller coaster for him. But yet, he shared pictures and baby things and young childhood things that he had saved and kept to this, kept safe. He sent them and mailed them to us, and we have them in our home. He also had a genealogy record of our family from Denmark, which he shared with me, and a lot of insight into our family life. 
In 2006, our youngest son, Gary, was graduating from University of Pittsburgh, and as a gift for him, we said we would take him on a trip, as we had for our oldest son when he graduated from college. He wanted to go to Denmark, and so we planned a trip, and I informed my, my birth father about that. He was excited. He sent us letters. He said, I know who you can contact. He said, you can you meet your cousins and you'll meet a close boyhood friend of mine that I've kept contact with all of my life. Mm -hmm. We went to Denmark. We had a really, really rich experience in the dead of winter and it was cold. But the warmth that we received from family there that embraced, embraced us, we were the long lost family that had come back home. His boyhood friend told us all kinds of stories when they were kids. It was phenomenal. We share that story with you because there was a real power of healing. A few years later, my birth father passed. I was never able to really meet him in person, and I wish we would have been able to. But I understood his situation, not trying to make life diff more difficult than it was for him. Can I just add something here? When we walked into Hans Christian was the best friend's name. 70 something year old guy. He had a pipe and he said, this pipe was your father's. And he said, let's not say anything for a moment. He looked at Niels, looked at Gary's, and he looked at Niels and he said, you look just like your father. And there was nothing to say. And, and Gary says, well, I guess we can go home now. We are, we were Wednesday, but mission had been accomplished just to, connection yeah yeah all right well we put a verse on this <clears throat> above, uh, from first Peter 4 8 above all keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of faults faults not sins faults yes. the faults of us as human beings y'all doing all right here we have a little bit left to go okay <laughs> A first step in recognizing, reckoning with our regrets, whether regrets of action or inaction, is self-disclosure. Now, revealing negative information about ourselves can be difficult because it feels awkward and it's shameful. However, a large amount of literature reveals that disclosing our thoughts, feelings, and actions can bring an array of physical, mental, and professional benefits. Part of the explanation for this benefit is that words written or spoken force us to recognize and focus our thoughts. Again, feeling is for thinking, and thinking is for doing. In 1986, I planned a family reunion for my family of eight children, all of whom by now had been married and had children. I suggested the reunion be here in Lancaster County we rented camper trailers for each family member. Um, you see, I had never met some of my nieces or nephews because we lived so far away in different parts of the United States and we were so spread out. So in June 1986, we camped for two nights at Spring Gulch Campground and had a great time connecting. And even my parents were able to be here from Hawaii celebrating their 42nd wedding anniversary. Well. Seven months later, my father died. They had been living in Hawaii of a massive heart attack at the age of 65. 
We know there would have been a lot of regrets had we not taken the time to plan that reunion. Well, another part of the equation of what do we do with regrets is self-compassion. With self-compassion, we can normalize and neutralize that negative feeling. After you disclose your regret, you've exposed yourself, yourself to yourself, and possibly to others. Now you have a choice on how you will respond. Do you beat yourself up and wallow in it? Or do you pump yourself up with a dose of self-esteem? Which is the better and more effective? Well, it turns out, neither of them. Self-criticism, unless focused on a particular action, does not help us overcome deep-seated tendencies. The opposite, self-esteem, can be more effective, but, hmm, but we can use it in a way that compares ourselves to other people. And when we compare ourselves to other people, we're almost automatically putting other people down. And somehow, in our society and in our lives, putting that is just really not helpful at all. So, what would you do instead? Well, there is an alternative that's been pioneered by a social psychologist by the name of Christine Neff. It is called self-compassion. We can often treat ourselves with harsh criticism when we feel it's something that we failed at. And we're often more severe on ourselves than we would be on someone that we know. A friend, a family mentor, a member, even a stranger. So if we extend understanding and grace to ourselves as we would to someone else, we begin to neutralize the negative feelings by normalizing the negative feeling. Bring it down a few notches. We're not trying to ignore our actions or our inactions. Self-compassion has been found to help people be successful in changing their behavior, more successful than self-esteem being applied to it. Self-compassion seems to help people stay in contact with their regret and be willing to discover avenues for personal improvement. This second step of transforming our regret can be acted on by these three questions. By now, perhaps you have had some kind of um, regret come to your mind. Think about your regret with the following three questions. If a friend or relative came to you with the same regret as yours, would you treat them with kindness or contempt? Is this type of regret something that other people might have endured, or are you the only person ever to experience it? And third, does this regret represent an unpleasant moment in your life, or does it define your life? If the former, you are in a better place to move forward. If the latter, ask someone else what they think. Yeah. Those three questions are extremely, extremely helpful. There's one more part to this, how do we deal with regrets? I would say self-distancing. After self-disclosure relieves some of the burden of the regret, 
And self-compassion helps us to reframe the regret as a human imperfection rather than a total flaw. Self-distancing helps us to analyze and strategize what to do next. To examine the regret more calmly without shame and to find in it a lesson that guides your future behavior. You can insert some distance with a fly-on-the-wall technique. That is, hold back. Pretend that you're someone looking in on what's going on in your life. All right? You may find that you can see someone else's problem more clearly and more um, unemotionally than you can see your own. So using that technique can help you. Um, in the same way, we can separate ourselves from the regret of our life to get a better view of it. Another way is using time as a self-distance tool. Mentally visit the future, say five, ten years, and ask the question, does this regret, is it as big as I think it is? And a lot of times you can find that you can shrink its size down, make it more manageable. This may make the pro the, seem smaller, and then you can move forward with what you would do with that regret and for the future in your life. Another tool about looking into the future, we can anticipate a regret, just as Helen did with her story sharing about that reunion. Um, we knew time was kind of pressing on us. You look into the future and you say, if I don't do this, if I don't take action, am I going to regret that? And remember, the door can close any time in life. We have one last personal story to share with you. Um, many years ago, Niels and I were both on staff here at Hosanna. Um, we were spending lots of time here working at the building. Joanne pulled us aside and said, you two are spending too much time here. You need to spend more time at home with your two boys. She said it lovingly, and it was like God was speaking through her. We took her words to heart and looked at ways to get a better balance in our lives of using time and being available to our two boys. Then we planned some family trips to the beach and other destinations. We also were more present with our boys. I've always, thank you, Joanne, I've always valued the advice Joanne gave us to treasure our boys when they were young and spend quality time with them. Today, we are thankful to say we have close and loving relationships with our two boys. Our family has also grown. We've gained a lovely daughter-in-law and four wonderful grandchildren and another one on the way. And we long to spend time with our beautiful family. Yeah. So just to let you know, we're still working with regrets. Regrets comprise probably 30% of the negative emotions in life. And negative emotions are not bad. Sometimes they're looked at as being bad, but really, there's a lot of them that help protect our lives. Fear of uh, falling makes you be very cautious about what you're doing in your life. Uh, fear, can, fear is one of those negative emotions, but there's other negative emotions. Regret, just the same, if used and, if used and respected properly, can help propel your life forward. It's something that God has actually given us. So 
let's not waste it. Mm -hmm. As Richard Rohr says, let's not waste the pain <laughs> in our lives. Right. So regret makes us human. Regret makes us better. Regret gives us, and I hope you, hope. So in, clo in closing here, we do want to say this. We're thankful for everyone who shares on the platform, whether it's the worship team, Jeff, those who speak here, because it's, a, it's an opportunity to, for all of us to be connected, and connections are very, very important. So God has planted deep in all of us an original purpose, the expression of God's hope in and for each of us. In our life, we discover our original purpose and how to live it out. May the working out of our regrets help us to have a sharper idea of what we truly value and that that value will be in line with God's purpose for our lives. Thank you. Thank you.